Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 1 through 23. Ezekiel 38, verses 1 through 23. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn you about and put hooks in your jaws, and I will bring you out and all your army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them with buckler and shield, wielding swords, Persia, Cush, and Put are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his hordes, Beth to Garma from the uttermost parts of the north with all his hordes, many peoples are with you. Be ready and keep ready, you and all your hosts that are assembled about you, and be a guard for them. After many days you will be mustered. In the latter years you will go against the land that is restored from war, the land whose people were gathered from many peoples among, upon the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste. Its people were brought out from the peoples and now dwell securely, all of them. You will advance coming on like a storm. You will be like a cloud covering the land, you and all your hordes and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord God, On that day thoughts will come into your mind, and you will devise an evil scheme and say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will fall upon the quiet people who will dwell securely, all of them dwelling without walls and having no bars or gates, to seize spoil and to carry off plunder, to turn your hand against the waste places that are now inhabited, and the people who were gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods, who dwell at the center of the earth. Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish and all its leaders will say to you, Have you come to seize spoil? Have you assembled your hosts to carry off plunder, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, and to seize great spoil? Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, Thus says the Lord God, On that day when my people Israel are dwelling securely, will you not know it? You will come from your place out of the uttermost parts of the north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great host, a mighty army. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. And in the latter days I will bring you against my land, that the nations may know me, when through you, O Gog, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Thus says the Lord God, Are you he of whom I spoke in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel, who in those days prophesied for years that I would bring you against them? But on that day... The day that Gog shall come against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God, my wrath will be roused in my anger. For in my jealousy and in my blazing wrath, I declare on that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field and all the creeping things that creep on the ground and all the people who are on the face of the earth shall quake at my presence. And the mountains shall be thrown down and the cliffs shall fall and every wall shall tumble to the ground. I will summon a sword against Gog. On all my mountains, declares the Lord God, every man's sword will be against his brother. With pestilence and bloodshed, I will enter into judgment with him, and I will rain upon him and his hordes and the many peoples who are with him torrential rains and hailstones, fire and sulfur. So I will show my greatness and my holiness and my, make myself known in the eyes of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Now, these verses, which we uh, are going to be studying tonight, have been uh, a topic of much discussion and speculation over the years. And I want you to see that as we take the time to dive into them, they're going to really come to life. Now, Ezekiel is told to set his face toward Gog of the land of Magog. Now, this individual, this person called Gog, is the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. You see here in Ezekiel 38, look what he says in verse 3. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against you. Gog, O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Now, we don't know specifically who this Gog is, but we can get some clues for, uh, from other sections of Scripture and from this passage. So we're going to take a little time to try to figure out who this Gog is. Ezekiel's told to prophesy against Gog uh, of Magog, who's the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. All right. Now, first and foremost, I want you to understand Gog could be a proper name. It could be someone's name. Go to 1 Chronicles chapter 5. In 1 Chronicles chapter 5, look at verses 1 through 6. In 1 Chronicles chapter 5, starting in verse 1, it says, The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, 
for he was the firstborn. But he defiled his father's couch. His birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the sons of Israel, so that he could not be enrolled as the oldest son. Though Judah became strong among his brothers, and a chief came from him. By the way, see that word chief? Keep that word chief in mind. It's going to be very important later on in our study. A chief came from him, yet the birthright belonged to Joseph, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel. There was Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. The sons of Joel were Shemaiah and his son who? Gog, his son, Shimei, his son, and so on. Uh, and then it says, all who Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, carried away into exile. And he was a, there's that word again, chief of the Reubenites. Again, that word chief is going to be important, so keep that in mind. But here we see in 1 Chronicles 5 that Gog could be a, a first name. There was a son called Gog. Now, I don't believe that's the Gog that's being referred to here because that Gog has died. And the scripture says that in the latter days, God's going to bring Gog against the land of Israel when they're living at peace with unwalled villages. But we do know that it could be a proper name. Also, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament of the Hebrew scriptures translated into Greek, they take translate a couple of names that I'm going to show you in scriptures. They translate those names as Gog. Let me show you which, those two places. Go to Numbers chapter 24 and look at verse 7. In Numbers chapter 24... And keep a bookmark here in Numbers 24, because we're going to come right back to it in just a second, like real soon. But in Numbers 24, verse 7, the scripture says, Water shall flow from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag. But the Septuagint translates that Gog, interestingly enough. All right? Now, at this point, when this has happened, Agag has already died. But, again... Interestingly enough, the Septuagint translate that word Agag, Gog. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 3. Again, keep a finger in Numbers 24. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 23. No, sorry, not 23, 3. Deuteronomy 3. And look at verse 1. It says, Then we, we turned and went up the way to Bashan, and Og, the king of Bashan, came out against us, he and all his people, to battle at Edrei. The Septuagint, interestingly enough, translates that name Og as Gog. Now, one thing I want you to see is you could also see that not only could Gog be a personal pronoun or first name, also Gog could just be a reference to an enemy of Israel, a leader who is a, an, an enemy of Israel. Let's go back to Numbers 24, and let me read to you verses 1 through 19, and listen closely to the prophecy in Numbers 24, verses 1 through 19. It says, when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to look for omens, but he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping tribe by tribe, and the Spirit of God came upon him, and he took up his discourse, and he said, now let me stop you real quick before we get to go any further. Keep in mind what's going on. Remember this Gentile king Balak hired Balaam to come and curse Israel. But every time he went to curse Israel, what came out of his mouth? Blessings, blessings came out of his mouth. And Balak kept getting quite upset with him. So Balaam now, when he realizes that every time he speaks, he's going to bless Israel and he's not going to get paid by Balak, he's decided he's going to just face toward the wilderness. But when he saw Israel camping tribe by tribe, without Balaam's intention, the Spirit of God just starts prophesying through him. Listen closely to the prophecy. It says, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, falling down with his eyes uncovered. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, O Israel, like palm groves that stretch afar, like gardens beside a river, like aloes that the Lord has planted, like cedar trees beside the waters. Water shall flow from his buckets, and his seeds shall be in many waters. His king, whoever this king that's coming over Israel, shall be higher than Agag, or like I said, some translations say Gog, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt and is for him like the horns of the wild ox. He shall eat up the nations, his adversaries, and shall break their bones in pieces and pierce them through with his arrows. He crouched, he lay down like a lion, and like a lioness, who will rouse him up? Blessed are those who bless you and cursed are those who curse you. 
And Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam, and he struck his hands together and said, and, and Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have blessed them now these three times. Therefore, now flee to your own place. I said, I will certainly honor you, but the Lord has kept you back or held you back from honor. And Balaam said to Balak, Did I not tell your messengers whom you sent to me? If Balak should give me his house full of silver and gold, I would not be able to go beyond the word of the Lord to do either good or bad of my own will. What the Lord speaks, that I, will I speak. And now, behold, I'm going to my people. Come, I'll let you know what this people will do to your people in the latter days. And he took up a discourse, and he said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is open, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and it shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir and all his enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly, and one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of the cities. Again, very clear that the scripture says this one who's going to be king over Israel, the one coming out of Egypt, the star coming out of Jacob, the scepter in Israel. By the way, who's that? It's Jesus. In the latter days, he will be mightier than Gog. Just keep that in mind. This Gog, back to Ezekiel 38. And I want you to look, sit close with me here because some of your translations have a bad translation. This Gog is the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. I love how the ESV translates it. They translate it very good. They said that he's the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Remember those words chief that I told you to remember? Where I pointed them out? Chief, chief. Unfortunately, many translations here in Ezekiel 38 translate it the prince of Rosh, Meshach and Tubal. Some of your translations, King James, New King James, they say prince of Rosh, Meshach and Tubal. Here's the problem with that translation. The word Rosh is used over 600 times in the Old Testament. And literally just about every single time, it is always translated as chief or head. It's nowhere used to refer to an individual in the sense of a name or a place. For years, we've been taught that Rosh is who? Russia, which is a horrible way to translate and interpret the scriptures because Rosh sounds like Russia. Rosh must be Russia. Listen to me again. The word Rosh, 600 times and more in the Old Testament, is translated chief or head. You saw that word chief, chief that I showed you? Those were the words Rosh. So when the ESV translate them as the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, I think that's the correct interpretation. He's not the prince of Rosh, which is an area, and Meshach and Tubal. You know why? Let me show you another example of why. Meshach and Tubal are both in Asia Minor, in modern area of modern-day Turkey. But at the same time, every time that Meshach and Tubal are listed, Meshach and Tubal, are never, you never see Rosh with them ever. I challenge you to show me, besides Ezekiel 38, where there's Meshach and Tubal and Rosh. Let me show you what I mean. Go to Ezekiel 27. You're in Ezekiel 38. Back up to Ezekiel 27. Look at verse 13. Ezekiel 27, verse 13, it's, it, it says, Javan, Tubal, and Meshach traded with you. They exchanged human beings and vessels of bronze for your merchandise. In the lament for Tyre, Meshach and Tubal are listed. There's no Rosh. Go over to chapter uh, 32 of Ezekiel. Look at verse 26. Chapter 32, verse 26. It says, Meshach, Tubal is there, and all her multitude, her graves and all around, and all of them uncircumcised, slain by the sword, for they spread their terror in the land of the living. Again, we see Meshach and Tubal listed, but there's no Rosh. Oh, let me... Show you another place. Go to Genesis chapter 10. Genesis 
in Genesis chapter 10, look at verses 1 and 2. It says, Now these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth were Gomer and who? Magog. Interesting. Mad Madai, Javan, Tubal, and Meshach, and Tiras. Then it lists the sons of Gomer and so on. Folks, if you actually do a study, and some of your study Bibles will have a map in it, it will show you after the time of Noah where all the first descendants of Noah went. And you're going to find Magog in that map right between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea in the area of Turkey, which is also where the descendants of, we see here the descendants of Japheth, one of them was Magog, Meshach, and Tubal were descendants of Japheth. God says to Ezekiel, prophesy toward this Gog, whoever Gog is. It could be a first name, as we've seen it used in the Bible, not sure it is. But it also is a reference to an enemy of Israel, but a leader who is an enemy of Israel, a chief who is an enemy of Israel. And that person, whoever they are, is going to be a chief prince over Meshach and Tubal, which is in the land of Magog, which is where in our modern day maps? Turkey. Turkey. All right. Keep that in mind. Go to 1 Chronicles chapter 1. 1 Chronicles chapter 1. And look at verses 1 through 5. Here's uh, from Adam to Abraham. We're only going to just hit the beginning of it. Adam, then there was Seth, then there was Enosh, then there was Kenan, then there was Mahalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, and Meshach, and Tiraz, just like we saw earlier over there in Genesis chapter 10. Folks, I want to suggest to you, and I know that there are famous preachers out there that say Rosh is Russia, and I've kind of leaned in that direction for, for years, but the more I dug into it, the more I started to realize, wait a minute, this is the only place that they try to make Rosh a place every other time, over 600 times in the Old Testament. When you see the word Rosh, it's translated chief. I could show you in 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 17, if you want to write it down and go look, it talks about the chief priest. By the way, in the Hebrews, it's Rosh. By the way, does anybody know what Rosh Hashanah is? It's the new year or the head of the year. You ever heard that? Rosh is head or chief. It's a ruler. It's the beginning. It's used to refer to the one in charge or the head or the beginning. So I want to suggest to you, 2 Kings, is that 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 17. I want to suggest to you that the translation in the ESV is correct, that this Gog, whoever Gog is, is the chief prince or the ruler of Magog, which is Meshach and Tubal, in that area of Turkey. All right? Don't try to figure out who that is. Don't try to figure out how it is, who it is. But I don't believe that Rosh should be translated, Rosh means Russia. I think Rosh just simply meant this is the chief prince of, or the head of, Meshach and Tubal. All right? And like I showed you, everywhere else when you see Meshach and Tubal listed, you never see Rosh listed. All right? Now, I'm going to say this to you, and then we're going to try to back it up scripturally. I truly believe that the scripture shows us that Gog is none other than the final Antichrist prophesied to come against Israel in the latter days. And the one whom God will defeat for his own glory. Now, I want you also to know, a lot of prophecy people put the Gog and Magog battle prior to the tribulation period. I don't see it as prior to the tribulation period. And we're going to spend the rest of tonight showing you why from chapter 38 and chapter 39. I'm just going to tell you ahead of time what my, my hypothesis is and from scripture then back it up. I believe that the Gog and Magog battle that we see listed in chapters 38 and 39 of Ezekiel is actually the battle that is going to happen from the midpoint of the tribulation period to the culmination of the tribulation period that ultimately ends in Jesus coming back, defeating Gog, the nations all realizing that Jesus is who he is, and Israel coming to faith. And as the scripture is going to show us, there are too many things in these passages that show it can't be prior to the tribulation. It can't be the 
After the millennial kingdom, Gog and Magog reference, which we're going to get to later tonight in Revelation chapter 20. If you remember at the end of the thousand years, Satan is released and he attempts all the people on the earth from the four corners, Gog and Magog, to come against Jerusalem. There are some that try to make that the Gog and Magog battle of Ezekiel 38 and 39. I just want to show you tonight, I don't believe that, that it, this is referring to the Revelation 21 and we'll get into that tonight as well. I want to lay out for you scripturally that I believe what we're looking at here is a prophecy about that the fact that God is going to have a battle in Israel at a certain time where he defeats Gog and his armies and he de declares himself to be God and he sets up his kingdom. All right, you with me so far? Let's take a look closely now with that in mind. Let's reread these, these passages. In Ezekiel 38, let's go to verses 17 through 23. It says, Thus says the Lord God, speaking about Gog, are you he of whom I spoke in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel, who in those days prophesied for years that I would bring you against them? By the way, that kind of blows up the Russia theory, doesn't it? Because there haven't been prophecies in the Old Testament all through about Russia coming. But on that day, the day that Gog shall come against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God, my wrath will be roused in my anger, for in my jealousy and in my blazing wrath, I declare on that day, there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field and all the creeping things that creep on the ground and all the people who are on the face of the earth shall quake at my presence. And the mountains shall be thrown down and the cliffs shall fall and every wall tumble to the ground. I will summon a sword against Gog on all my mountains declares the Lord God, every man's sword will be against his brother. With pestilence and bloodshed I'll enter into judgment with him, and I will rain upon him and his hordes and the many peoples who are with him, torrential rains and hailstones, fire and sulfur. So I will show my greatness and my holiness and make myself known in the eyes of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Did anybody notice the events occurring during this battle? that line up perfectly with the end of the tribulation period? There's going to be a great earthquake in Israel. Go to Revelation chapter 16. When God brings Gog against Israel, and God defeats Gog on the mountains of Israel as they come against Israel, there's going to be a great earthquake in Israel. Revelation chapter 16. Look at verses 17 through 19. It says, The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It's done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake, the great city, Jerusalem, was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God then remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away. No mountains were to be found. And we'll come back to the rest of it because we're about to come back. So keep a finger there in, in, in uh, Revelation chapter 16. But we see that when this battle happens, God's going to have a great earthquake where? In Israel. And Revelation tells us it actually happens in Jerusalem. Actually, this earthquake's across the whole globe, but it's also centered in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's going to be split into three parts. Also, we see in what we just read in Ezekiel 38, verses 17 through 23, that all the people on the earth will quake at Jesus' presence, and all the mountains shall fall. We just read that, didn't we, in Revelation 16? But now go to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6, look at verses 12 through 17. John says, When, he, when Jesus opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Sounds like what we just read in Ezekiel 38. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Again, all the peoples on the face of the earth are going to quake at his presence when this battle happens. Again, it sure seems to be lining up with the end of the tribulation period that the culmination of this battle is going to happen. Oh, but there's more. We also saw in Ezekiel 38 
verses uh, uh, 22 and following, that God is going to rain upon Gog and his hordes and the many peoples who are with him, torrential rains and what? Hailstones and fire and sulfur. Go back to Revelation 16. I started reading into that section just a bit ago. In Revelation chapter 16, look at verses 20 and 21. It says, And every island fled away, and no mountain were to, mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell on, from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. So we see that there's hailstones. We also see in Revelation chapter 8, just back up a couple of chapters to Revelation chapter 8. Look at verses 6 and 7. Revelation 8, verses 6 and 7. It says, Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Sounds like the battle of Gog and Magog, doesn't it? When God is going to display his glory and rail down hail fire and fire and sulfur, it's lining up with that, but there's way more that we're going to look at. In Ezekiel 38, verse 17, I referenced it as I read it. God says that he had spoken about God's coming against Israel through the prophets for years. Like I said, that doesn't fit Russia. Because there's nowhere where you see that God's been prophesying that Russia was going to come against Israel for years. But we do see that the prophecies have been for years, and the prophets have been for years talking about who coming against Israel. The Antichrist. Yeah. Take a look at Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. You say, wait a minute, Jim, that's after Ezekiel. Yeah, but Daniel was written prior to Ezekiel. Daniel chapter 9, we're going to look at verses 24 through 27 to start with. It says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people in your holy city, that's Israel and Jerusalem, to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem, the coming of an anointed one, the prince, shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks to be built again with squares and a moat, but in troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off. And we knew Jesus was, was cut off at that time. And we already saw, by the way, in the Old Testament, that the Hebrew it actually should be translated Messiah instead of anointed one. Shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince, oh, there's that term again. Of the prince who is to come, Rosh, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to an end there shall be wars and desolations. And he, this prince who is to come, shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of the abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. We were told that... There's a Rosh coming, a prince who's going to come, he's going to make a peace treaty with Israel, confirm a covenant, but then he's going to break the covenant halfway through and declare himself to be God. Go to Daniel chapter 11. Look at verses 36 through 45. Daniel chapter 11, verse 36. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished, for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the god of fortresses instead of these, a god whom his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver and with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses and with the help of a foreign god. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many, and he shall divide the land for a price. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen with many ships. And he shall come into countries, shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land, and tens of thousands shall fall. But these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom, Moab, and main parts of the Ammonites. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of the Egypt shall not escape. 
He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and silver and all the precious things of Egypt and of Lib the Libyans and the Cushites. By the way, keep that in mind. The Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train, but news from the east and north shall alarm him, and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction, and he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. One more place I'm going to show you real quick. Go to Zephaniah chapter 3. Zephaniah chapter 3, and look at verse 8. In Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 8, God says, Therefore wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey. For my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger, for in the fire of my jealousy all the earth shall be consumed. Here we see the scripture that God said He's going to gather the nations to come against Israel and He's going to consume them with His anger. God says that he had been prophesying through his prophets for many years about this one who was coming. And I believe without question this Gog is the ruler at that time. He's going to come out of that area of the world, which we've mentioned, the area of Turkey. And it's going to be the Antichrist when he comes against Israel. Remember, this begins sometime after the midpoint of the tribulation, around the midpoint of the tribulation. And it culminates, takes a little while, it culminates against Israel at the end of the tribulation period with all the things that we just read about that line up with this battle, lining up with the second half of the tribulation. But again, there's more. I want you to notice how it is God who puts a hook in the jaws like we just saw in Zephaniah 3. God says, I'm going to assemble the nations. It's God who puts a hook in the jaws of Gog and all his fellow conspirators. Even though they think they're coming on their own and for their own purposes, it is God who controls them and brings them against Israel to show His glory to Israel and to the world. Go back to Ezekiel 38. Look at verses 7 through 16. It says, Be ready and keep ready, you and all your hosts that are assembled about you, and be a guard for them. After many days you will be mustered. In the latter years you will go against the land that is restored from war, the land whose people were gathered from many peoples upon the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste. Its people were brought out from the peoples and now dwell securely, all of them. You will advance coming on like a storm. You will be like a cloud covering the land and you and all your hordes and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord God, on that day thoughts will come into your mind and you will devise an evil scheme and say, I'll go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will fall upon the quiet people who dwell securely, all of them dwelling without walls and having no bars or gates to seize spoil and to carry off plunder to turn your hand against the waste places that are now inhabited and the people who are gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods, who dwell at the center of the earth. Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish and all its leaders will say to you, have you come to see spoil? Have you assembled your host to carry off plunder, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods and to seize great spoil? Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, thus says the Lord God, on that day, when my people are in Israel are dwelling securely, will you not know it? You will come from your place out of the uttermost parts of the north. That's important. Keep that in for later on. You'll come from your place out of the uttermost parts of the north, and you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great host, a mighty army. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud covering the land. In the latter days I will bring you against my land that the nations may know me, when through you, O Gog, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. By the way, if this is the battle after the millennial kingdom, is that when the nations are going to know the Lord? No, the nations are going to know the Lord all throughout the millennial kingdom because he's going to be here. He'll already have been known. This is a battle prior to the millennial kingdom for sure. And I believe it is at the end of the tribulation period. I believe at the beginning when this individual, the Antichrist comes, the other nations are going to be saying, hey, are you coming to see spoil? Is that why you're taking over? But it's going to become evident over time that that's not his intention. But it's God who's gathering him. So the question is, who's going to come with Gog? The scripture tells us. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time here because I, want, I got a lot more I want to cover so we can finish chapter 38 and 39 tonight. But we see, if you look at the scriptures, if you go back to verse 5, Persia and Cush and Put are with them. Persia, we all know who Persia is because Persia changed their name from Persia to what? In our lifetime. 
Iran. Persia's Iran. Cush is Ethiopia. It's in Africa, south of Egypt. By the way, did you remember that prophecy in Daniel chapter 11? The Cushites are with him. Oh, also put is Libya, which is in northern Africa, west of Egypt. By the way, do you remember that prophecy we read in Daniel chapter 11? The Cushites and the Libyans are there with him. Gomer is Eastern Europe. Beth Garma is Eastern Turkey. Now, those are the ones that are coming with him. Then the Bible says that Sheba, Dedan, and the merchants of Tarshish all sit by and watch and just say, what are you doing? Now, most believe that Sheba and Dedan, according to the scriptures, are, is Saudi Arabia. And Tarshish, or the merchants of Tarshish, could be Great Britain, or maybe even refer slightly to us. I actually did the study. I could take some time tonight to lay out for you historically, geographically, all this stuff. But then I thought, why am I going to waste my time trying to do all that when actually the scripture says all whoever these people are, Sheba, Dinan, and the merchants of Tarshish, all they do is sit back and watch it go on. So why are we going to waste our time trying to argue over whether or not it's America or Great Britain or any, whatever, you know what I'm saying? All we know is this, the prophecies sure seem to line up with the nations that are coming with them, with all the prophecies that this is the Antichrist and this is the battle at the end of the tribulation period. The fact that Israel is living securely, thank you very much. The fact that Israel is living securely and at, at peace with unwalled villages also lines up with the timing of the midpoint to the end of the tribulation period. Since during the first half of the tribulation period, Israel will have made a peace treaty with the Antichrist and many nations. We already saw that that's when he's going to come against Israel and they're living at peace with unwalled villages. Uh, have, they been, have they been regathered, as we looked at last week, partially? The full final fulfillment hasn't happened yet till the end of the tribulation period. But are they living at peace and dwelling securely? And are they done with war? Not even close. They're watching every single day to see if rockets come in. And even now, if you think about going to Israel, you kind of pray whether or not it's going to be safe. I actually talked to a man on Sunday at my church who actually was there uh, in 1967 and had to change his visit to Israel to get out of there because he was there one day before the 1967 war and got out just in time. I said, how was your visit to Israel at that time? He said, there was a lot of military people everywhere. But I believe that that lines up with the timing of this battle because there's going to be a covenant with Israel. And for three and a half years, they're going to have been living at peace with unwalled villages. I think this Ezekiel 38 and 39 is going to end at the end of the tribulation period. Oh, by the way, I was also surprised to find out if you look at John MacArthur's commentary in his study Bible, John MacArthur puts Gog as the Antichrist and the battle at the end of the tribulation period. Now, there's not a lot of us out there that do, but I just figured I'm nobody. If John MacArthur sees it that way, maybe you'll listen. All right. Go to Ezekiel 39. Go to Ezekiel 39. Let's look at verses 1 through 29. And you, O son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. And I will turn you about and drive you forward and bring you up from the uttermost parts of the north. There we see it again. And lead you against the mountains of Israel. Then I will strike your bow from your left hand and I will make your arrows drop out of your right hand. You shall fall on the mountains of Israel, you and all your hordes and all the peoples who are with you. I'll give you to the birds of prey, every sort, to the beasts of the field to be devoured. You shall fall in the open field, for I've spoken, declares the Lord God. I will send fire on Magog and on those who dwell securely in the coastlands, and they shall know that I am the Lord. And my holy name will I will make known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let my holy name be profaned anymore. The nations shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Behold, it's coming, and it'll be brought about, declares the Lord God. That is the day of which I have spoken. Then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and make fires of the weapons and burn them, shields and bucklers, bow and arrows, clubs and spears, and they'll make fires of them for seven years, so that they will not need to take wood out of the field or cut down any of the forests, for they will make fires of the weapons. They'll seize the spoil of those who despoiled them and plunder those who plundered them, declares the Lord God. On that day, I will give to Gog a place for burial in Israel, the valley of the travelers east of the sea. It will block the travelers, for there Gog and all his multitude will be buried. It will be called the Valley of Hammon Gog. For seven months the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. All the people of the land will bury them, and it will bring them renown on that day. 
I shall shall glory, my glory declares the Lord God. They will set apart men to travel throughout the land regularly and bury those travelers remaining on the face of the land so as to cleanse it. And at the end of the seven months, they will make their search. And when these travel through the land and anyone sees a human bone, then he shall set a sign by it till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Hamongog. Hamona is also the name of the city. Thus shall they cleanse the land. As for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak to the birds of every sort and to all the beasts of the field, assemble and come, gather from all around to the sacrificial feast that I'm preparing for you, a great sacrificial feast on the mountains of Israel, and you shall eat flesh and drink blood, and you shall eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, rams and lambs and he-goats of bulls, all of them fat beasts of Bashan, and you shall eat fat till you are filled and drink blood till you are drunk at the sacrificial feast that I'm preparing for you. And you shall be filled at my table with horses and charioteers, with mighty men and all kinds of warriors, declares the Lord God. And I will set my glory among the nations, and all the nations shall see my judgment that I have executed, and my hand that I have laid on them. The house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. Don't miss that. The end of this battle, the house of Israel will know that He is the Lord from that day forward. And the nations shall know the house of Israel, that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity, because they dealt so treacherously with me, that I hid my face from them, and gave them into the hand of their adversaries, and they all fell by the sword. I dealt with them according to their uncleanness and their transgressions, and hid my face from them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob, and have mercy on the whole house of Israel. And I will be jealous for my holy name, They shall forget their shame and all the treachery they have practiced against me when they dwell securely in their land with none to make them afraid when I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them from their enemies' lands and through them have vindicated my holiness in the sight of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord their God because I sent them into exile among the nations and then assembled them into their own land. I will leave none of them remaining among the nations anymore and I will not hide my face anymore from them when I pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. Now this chapter gives us even more info about the timing of this battle. Not only do some prophecy people place the timing of the battle as prior to the tribulation period, which I told you I don't. Some place this battle after the millennial kingdom because of Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 10. Go to Revelation chapter 20, look at verses 7 through 10. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 10, and it says, And when the thousand years are ended, that's the end of the millennial kingdom, Satan will be released from his prison, and he will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them from battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints, the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, where in Gog and Magog, Ezekiel 38 and 39, are they coming from? The north. Where in Revelation 20 are they coming from? The four corners of the globe and surrounding the city. There's a difference, but I'm going to show you some more. Here, I believe the, the, the clues in Ezekiel 39 place this battle in the middle to the end of the tribulation period, culminating with the return of Christ. Here are some of the reasons why, one I just referenced. Here's another one. In verses 9 and 10, we see of chapter 39, that after this battle, the Jews will collect the fallen weapons for seven years. Now, at the end of the millennial kingdom is the new heaven and the new earth, and the old one passes away, so there's really no need to collect the stuff, because remember, at the end of the millennial kingdom, the final battle... Everything's wiped out and make, God makes a new heaven and the new earth. There's really no need to do that. Now, this is where a lot of people take and say, well, that means it's going to be prior to the tribulation period because they're going to collect during the tribulation period, during those seven years, they're going to collect the, well, hang on for a second. Those of you that have studied Revelation with me and have studied the scriptures, are, is anybody going to be gathering anything during the second half of the tribulation period? They're going to be running for their lives. The world is going to be hiding because of the, the rocks and the caves and And the Jews are going to be chased out of Israel. Two-thirds are going to be killed. They're not going to be collecting stuff during the second half of the tribulation period. So just because it says for seven years doesn't mean that it has to be prior to the tribulation period. That's bad hermeneutics. That's just a Bible term. I'll just say to you it's a, a wrong way to interpret the scripture. Okay? So 
the scripture says that they're going to be collecting it for seven years. Sounds like the battle has to be prior to the millennial kingdom. And maybe during the first seven years of the tribulation period, they'll be collecting all the weapons that have been left over. In verses 11 through 16. Of the thousand, what I say, tribulation period? Thank you for clarifying that because I meant millennial kingdom. Thank you so much. First seven years of the millennial kingdom, not the tribulation period. And the second thing in verses 11 through 16 of chapter 39, it says, The bones of Israel, Israel's enemies will be collected for seven months, and Gog's burial place will block travelers for a while. Again, this doesn't seem to fit with the end of the millennial kingdom, because at the end of the millennial kingdom, everything's wiped out, and the whole thing starts all over again. This, again, seems to put it prior to the uh, millennial kingdom, I believe, at the end of the tribulation period. All right? Now, actually, this is also very interesting, because if some of you, and I'm going a little deeper than some people might want to stick with me here, but stick with me as best you can. If you were to go back and look at the end of Daniel 12, it lists a number of days that adds up to more than 1,260. Remember, we looked at the three and a half years and three and a half years. If you go to the very end of Daniel chapter 12, you'll see that there's an extra number of days. Blessed is he who is there till the end of the 1,335th day. You're going to see that actually the scripture teaches that at the beginning of the millennial kingdom, and we're going to get to that when we get into chapter 40 and the new temple and the river that flows from the temple, there's going to be a time period of cleansing the earth, cleansing the temple, changing everything into the millennial kingdom. It's going to be a process. It's not going to be a boom and everything's all better. There's going to be a cleansing period, a cleansing number of days. And I think that lines up here with them for seven months during the first part of the millennial kingdom collecting all the dead bones from this battle. And there's actually the people that do that are going to be honored because they're going to be cleansing the land. I think, again, end of the tribulation period battle here into the millennial kingdom with the cleansing and the collecting of the bones. But here's something really big. In verses 17 through 20, we see a bird feast described here in chapter 39 that almost matches word for word with the bird feast at the end of the tribulation period in Revelation 19. Go to Ezekiel 39 and look at verses 17 through 20. As for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak to the birds of every sort and all the beasts of the field, assemble, come, gather from all around to the sacrificial feast that I'm preparing for you, a great sacrificial feast on the mountains of Israel, and you birds shall eat the flesh and drink the blood. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams, of lambs, and he goats, of bulls, all of them fat beasts of Bashan. And you shall eat fat till you're filled and drink blood till you are drunk at the sacrificial feast that I'm preparing for you. And you shall be filled at my table with horses and charioteers, with mighty men and all kinds of warriors, declares the Lord God. Jump over to Revelation chapter 19. In Revelation 19, we have already seen at the beginning of Revelation 19, Jesus coming back on his white horse and all of us riding with him and the angels of God coming. And in verses 17 and 18, at the end of the tribulation period, Revelation 19, 17, 18, then I saw an angel standing in the sun and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. Look down at verse 21. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Does that sound familiar? Sure sounds like the Gog and Magog battles at the end of the tribulation period, with the culminating with the return of Jesus Christ. Oh, we also see in verses 21 through 24 of Ezekiel 39, that the house of Israel will know that God is the Lord from this day forward. I'm going to give you a quiz. We've already studied that at the end of the tribulation period, all of Israel will be that survives is going to be brought into the millennial kingdom, and God's going to erase their sin, and He's going to put His Spirit within them and move to them to follow His decrees. But what also was the prophecy that said about them, know, what, was the, what did the prophecy say about them, them, them knowing the Lord? Exactly. The prophecy said that during the millennial kingdom, no one will have to teach them saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest. The battle, when it comes to an end, 
When God defeats Gog on the mountains of Israel and shows His glory and all the birds come and gorge themselves on everyone's flesh that came to gather against Israel, from that day forward, every Jew, all Israel will know that He is the Lord. Can this be the battle after the millennial kingdom? No. It's got to be prior. Folks, it sure looks like Gog and Magog happens at the midpoint to the end of the, of the tribulation period, and Gog is no one else but the Antichrist himself. Now, some people will say, wait a minute, Jim. Doesn't the prophecy say that the prince who will come, his people are going to destroy the temple? And that was the, the Romans. Therefore, he's got to come from Rome. And you've just said that he's going to be the chief prince of Meshach and Tuval or the area of Turkey. That's true. But if you remember, you know your history, the Roman Empire was broken into two groups, the Eastern and the Western. And If you do your study, you'll find that the group that came and actually did the destruction of the temple came from the Eastern group, which that part of the Roman Empire included Turkey. So that still fits with the prophecy from Daniel chapter 9. Arabs. Yes, yes. As she just brought out, the people in that part of the Roman Empire were mostly made up of the Arab descent. And folks, I'm just going to say it to you straight up. The scripture, if you look at all the woe to you nation, woe to you nation, woe to you nation in the last days, they're all Muslim nations. And we already read in the prophecy in Daniel chapter 11 that this individual is going to purport a God never known before. By the way, my brain just shut off here. Muhammad, when the prophecies were written, hadn't even come into existence yet. And when Muhammad came on the scene, by the way, Muhammad was born 600 years after the church even began. Muhammad came up with his own God. He had been raised by grandparents who were nomadic travelers and traders. And he had heard about all these different gods of all these different nations that they traded with. And he decided there needed to be one. And if you even study his writings, it's a conglomeration of a little bit of Christianity, a little bit of this, a little bit of Judaism. And he made up his own God, which had never been known before. And so when the prophecy says that this individual Gog is going to purport a God never known before, it may line up with Islam. Please do not hear me say it will be. But I'll tell you one thing. There's a lot of things that sure point to what's going on in our world and what's happening. All I want you to know is I will stand before God one day for everything that I teach you and everything I show you from scriptures, and I take it very, very seriously. But I can look you in the eye and say after years of wrestling with this, being willing to disagree with men that I respect in the prophecy realm, I believe without question that Gog is the Antichrist. And he's going to be the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal or the area of Turkey, wherever that is going to be, however that's going to play out. But he's going to gather other nations with him. And I believe the Gog and Magog battle of Ezekiel 38 and 39 happens ultimately by the end of the tribulation period. I believe it starts as they come and people are thinking, are you just coming to gather spoil? They don't think they're coming for war. But in time, it becomes obvious that that's not what they're there for. And God is going to defeat him and his armies. And I believe the Gog and Magog battle is not the one, not the one listed in Revelation chapter 20. I believe what happens is in Revelation 20... Is just a reference to Gog and Magog and the fact that this enemy of Israel gathered many people together against Israel from all the four corners of the globe. And by the way, in that battle, God just destroys them with the breath of his mouth and fire, and it's it. It's over. This is a period of battle and blood and all this. But I believe that the Bible teaches very clearly that the Gog and Magog battle happens at the end of the tribulation period. I don't believe we're going to see it. Go ahead. Well, like you just said, God opens his mouth and fire comes down. There's not a lot to bury. Exactly. There's not a lot to bury, but there will be a lot to bury in the end of this. Again, if you let the scripture speak and you wrestle with it and you dig in deep, you realize, man, there's too much here that says this is the end of the tribulation period. Now, 
In Ezekiel 39, verses 25 through 29, God gives another reminder of his promise to restore Israel's fortunes in the end and to, at that point, never again turn his back on them. I just want to close tonight with the fact that that's a promise that is ours today. I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13, and I want to give you a passage of Scripture to meditate on. When I say meditate, I don't want you to just say, okay, I read it. I want you to take some time and break it down into small segments and let the Lord speak to you from his word about each of these small segments. But in Hebrews chapter 13, look at verses 5 and 6. It says, keep your life free from the love of money. By the way, you know what one of the best ways to keep yourself free from the love of money is? Give it away. Seriously, just give it away. God has begun to do a work in our family to the point that we literally, we just have, we've been telling each other, money is just a tool that God uses for his purposes. You don't hoard tools. They're just tools. They're used. And you want to keep yourself free from the love of money? Don't keep counting it. Don't say, how am I doing? Just give it away and watch how God keeps pouring it back in. And I'm telling you the truth, folks. We've been experiencing it like you wouldn't believe. Keep your life free from the love of money. By the way, it's Christmas time, and some of you are freaking out about your budgets. And after Christmas time, by the time you're done paying off all your credit cards, which I hope you're not running up credit card bills, you're going to come to tax season. And then it's going to be, folks, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he, God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Folks, we're living in a day and age in which things are getting crazier and crazier. I believe the Bible teaches God's going to take us out of here before the tribulation period. But between now and then, there's going to be lots of stuff that continue to go on. You want to be set free? Keep yourself free from the love of money. Give it away. Be content with what you have and hang on to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember how he told Israel, from that day forward, I'll never turn my back on them. At the end of the tribulation period, from the millennial kingdom on, he will never turn his back on Israel. Right now they've experienced the hardening in part. He's turned his back on them for a while. He hasn't ultimately rejected them because of Abraham, but they, they don't got his full attention just yet. At that point, I'll get right to you, Marie. In that point, God says, I will at that point on never turn my back on them again. You and I have that promise tonight. He'll never turn his back on you. I had a chance to share my faith uh, Sunday afternoon with a man uh, that I, um, I've been witnessing to for a while with one of the pastors from our church. We played Sunday afternoon, played some golf up in Savannah. Knowing this man's not a believer, his wife is, but he's not. I was praying, Lord, give me wisdom on how to talk to him. And he said, tell him about what I did to you and did for you through your cancer. And I turned to this man, and his name's Jim as well. I said, Jim, let me just tell you something. You know about the cancer I've been through because I played through the cancer with him a few times. He said, yeah. I said, let me tell you the greatest thing that happened through my cancer. He said, what's that? I said, when the cancer came, I didn't think for a second that God was mad at because I knew he'd already poured out all of his wrath for my sin on Jesus at the cross. And he wasn't mad at me. So I didn't ever think that for a second. And two, I didn't know if I was going to live or die. And either way was good because I knew that my sins were covered. And if I died, I'd go be with him forever. And he loved me. Let me just tell you, there was nothing greater than knowing he's not mad. And if I die, who cares? That's a great way to live, isn't it? He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Marie. Turkey, isn't that the one that's going to dry up when they're going to march Chinese? At the Euphrates River is, is, is going to dry up. And then there's going to be people coming from the east. They're going to come across that and all that. And this all lines up with everything the prophecy said about the battle at the end, the Battle of Armageddon. This is the Battle of Armageddon. Yes, I was there with a group in Israel, and we saw the, the huge place where the battle the valley of megiddo yes ma'am and where the blood is going to be up to the horses now yep. i wondered because of all the symbolism it, it sounds like real horses but with all the planes and the jets and 
What, what? A really good question. Some of you probably wondering that as well, because the, they're talking about the horses and, and armor and the weapons are made out of wood and all that. Here's the honest answer. We don't know fully. There are some people, and I take the Bible very literally. There are some prophecy people that say that because of what's going on at this point in history, you know, you ever heard of all these EMP electromagnetic pulse bombs that are possibly being going to be detonated and wipe out electric grids and all that? There are some prophecy people that think by this point, we've lost electricity and you've gone back to horse warfare. That's a possibility. It's a strong possibility. I mean, North Korea right now, from what we understand, has the possibility of setting off one of those things via a satellite and over the United States or whatever. I don't know. Don't hear me say that's how it's going to be. But there's a strong chance that when the scripture says horses, they're probably, they could be coming on horses. I don't know. The blood will be up to the horse's bridle. We don't know. That, that's pretty deep, you know. But again, that sound lines up with that bird feast that we read about tonight. Yes, ma'am. The last um, question is, the United States doesn't seem to be mentioned in anything. Do you think we if we are mentioned at all, we're in that Merchants of Tarshish place, but it's a, still a waste of time because we're not doing anything to stop it. But I personally question whether or not we even will exist as a nation at that time. But I don't know. Either way, either we don't exist or we're of no consequence and we're not stopping this attack on Israel. Either way, it's not good for us. Good question. No problem. I love you. We'll see you in three weeks. January 9th. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. I think January 9th is when we meet again.